Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is also a conversation about a film coming up soon at Hot Docs. You're going to want to see this one as well. In fact, you know, pretty much just assume that I'm going to say that because I probably wouldn't have uh, chosen the film, probably wouldn't have taken the time to watch it and, and or take notes and, and engage in a conversation with, with filmmakers about it. But Olivier Sarbiel and James Jones are here to talk about their new film, On the President's Orders. We get into Philippines, the Philippines, and we, we step into uh, the police force there, or at least a portion of it, and we talk about this war on drugs that seems to continue to go on around the world in a different way. And we talk about a whole lot of uh, things. Once again, we, we get into the, the, the ethics behind filmmaking. We talk about uh, photojournalism and, and why this was like a catalyst and how it acted as a catalyst for both Olivier and James to to go a little deeper in this film. We talk about ego and vanity and, and, and how to build trust. Um, this this really is an observational film, and, and, and both Olivier and James talk a great deal about how they wanted to just step back and, and not, you know, not judge or, or come with a critical eye necessarily, but to uh, turn the camera on and to step into to something uh, a situation that was that is clearly complicated and not easy to work through, um, but 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 far more nuanced and subtle than than perhaps you know, uh, lawmakers and uh, police forces around the world uh, view these things. This isn't just about a war on drugs. Uh, this, is about, uh, uh, this is about people. This is about relationships. This is about poverty and how extreme poverty is a complicated issue. Um, you're going to want to see the film. You're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna listen into the conversation. It's it's coming uh, right up. This is this is um, 
this is a be- there's a beautiful phrase in the interview uh, in inconvenient complexity i mean that could be the title of of their book that they write about international development and filmmaking and and stepping into difficult challenging stories but uh, uh inconvenient complexity stories that matter coming uh, up uh, on the president's orders uh, don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about about my speaking and, and my writing face to face live.ca for for plenty over 400 interviews with filmmakers and other people who are making a difference around the world in in, in one way or another stories that matter uh, you know, Richard Wagami said stories are meant to heal, and we truly do believe that here at Face to Face. If you can't support us on Patreon, we'd really appreciate that. You know, monthly support would be wonderful. But if you can't go there, uh, could, you, could you at least uh, share the podcast with somebody else, sign up for our newsletter, or maybe leave a review for us on iTunes? We'd certainly appreciate that. It's amazing how a little bit of digital engagement can go a long way. Our voice is growing, our, 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 our audience is growing, and we'd like to continue to make that. Happen and don't forget rabble.ca for a whole host of other writers, thinkers, bloggers, podcasters. You can you can find out more about what's going on around the world in Canada in particular on rabble.ca news for the rest of us. Coming right up, Olivier Harbil and James Jones talking about their new film on the president's orders. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests here with us today. Uh, as we uh, sort of step into the first week before Hot Docs, we have Olivier Sarbil and James Jones here to talk about their new film, On the President's Orders. Uh, thanks to you both for joining me today. Great to talk Thank to you. So have we got, uh, basically, we have Canada, the UK, and France talking together right now? Is that is that what we have? That's right. We yeah, do. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Truly, truly, not only an international documentary, but an international conversation as well. So, that's uh, that's kind of cool. Well, listen, guys, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. And 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 uh, hey, right out of the gate, uh, congratulations on the film. I. Um, Wow, uh, it's in, it's engaging, it's it's compelling, it's uh, I mean riveting from the opening scenes and the opening quotes, and and uh, you're about to step into hot docs with a North American premiere. You you premiered at CPH Docs in Copenhagen. Um, can can you can you set some context for us uh, before I dive in with? I've got a lot of questions and and a lot of places I'd love to go. But anyway, I just wanted to say congratulations and and really love the film. Thank you. That's really, really Thank kind you. of you. So, yeah, could you could you set it up for us just a tiny bit? Uh, people who aren't that familiar with what's going on in the country in the Philippines and the drug war and so on. I mean, it's certainly easy to access online, and I'm sure people will be Googling it after our interview. But, uh, but yes, James, do you mind diving in there? Sure. So, basically, um, it was a story that Olivier and I had been following for a while. We, we were just finishing our, our previous documentary uh, called Mosul, which was about the fight against ISIS in Iraq. Um, and we'd been kind of following the amazing photojournalism that was coming out of the Philippines. And it was, you know, night after night, you know, dozens of bodies ending up on the streets of Manila. And there were these kind of very dedicated Filipino photojournalists going out and, and capturing these kind of shocking, mm. um, but, but kind of eerily beautiful images. And just kind of, you know, it, it was something that we had followed. And I think we thought, but basically, President Duterte came in in 2016 and declared all-out war on drug users and drug dealers. And, you know, as, as you've referenced, there's an opening line in the film where he says, you know, uh, Germany had three million Jews. The Philippines has three million drug users. 
if Germany had Hitler, the Philippines can have, you know, me. Uh, and I think it's the only time I've heard, you know, a serving ruler of a country compare himself to Hitler in a kind of favorable way. And that was on the campaign trail and that set the tone for his for his time as president. And he's made drugs, you know, his propaganda makes drugs into the root of all evil. You know, drug users are subhuman and they need to be wiped out. And so Olivier and I, we'd seen this amazing coverage, but I think we, we both thought the, the way the story was being told had become a bit formulaic. You'd see dead bodies, you'd see crying families, but you didn't really get under the skin of it. You didn't understand who was doing the killing, how they could justify it. Uh, and so our idea really was to get out to Manila, the capital, um, and get access to the police and, you know, get inside their heads and understand the kind of rationale for this mass killing, which has led to, you know, at least 5,000 deaths by police in uniform and many, many more kind of vigilante style killings. Um, and so we, we went out on a recce. Uh, we thought actually at the worst possible time, because it was a moment when the drugs were got a bit hot and controversial. And so even President Duterte had had to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to cool things down. And we went to the, you know, the, the kind of hot spot of, of the killings, thinking they'd probably laugh us out of town. You know, they'd, they'd see we'd phone halfway across the world and know exactly what story we were trying to do and probably not give us access. And we were just very lucky that we met this police chief who is this kind of larger than life character, almost like a mini Duterte mm -hmm, himself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and as ever with filmmaking, when, when you have someone who's got a big ego and a lot of vanity, that really plays into your hands because they love the idea of being the center of attention. They love the idea of a, a Frenchman and an Englishman flying across the world to make a film about them. So from day one, really, he, he threw open the doors uh, of their police station in, in Calaocan, an area uh, of Manila. And from then on, it was just a case of me and Olivier having to spend every day in the police station winning the kind of trust and confidence of, of the police officers, who some of whom were pretty suspicious of us at first, I would say. Okay. You know, they'd never really had, they'd never had a documentary crew film, want to film them having breakfast, film them training, you know, they, occasionally they'd have like a news crew would come on an operation, but it was, it took a long time for them to kind of understand the grammar of what we were doing. And frankly, to just kind of relax and let their guard down a bit. Olivier, how how hard did you guys find it to to build that trust? I mean, I, I'm 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 amazed at the footage that you guys had access to. I mean, even the security camera footage, the disturbing security camera footage that opens up the film. I mean, how? Yeah, you must you must have spent a fair bit of time with these guys just sitting around, uh, having a drink, having coffee, and so on, just building that rapport yeah. <laughs> before you turned on the cameras. Yeah, no, we did. Uh, we, we didn't have, we never went through the uh, official media center for the police. We, we didn't have uh, a press, an authorization press from them. So we, like James said, we really spent a lot of time trying to build a common understanding and try to winning them trust. Uh, and it took us a lot of time, it took us weeks, months. Uh, at some point, we could come in and out of the police station. We could go to the uh, jail, to the SWAT team unit, to the training department, and nobody would care about our presence anymore. We kind of began invisible. And so, yeah, we were able to get that footage, uh, gaining that that access, really. Yeah. And, Did, and I, sorry, go 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say, did did you ever feel that, uh, and I think it sort of comes out in the film, uh, he, he wasn't the chief of police, was he? Or is he the chief? So he's the chief of police in Calahocan. So Thank in you. That, in that district, which is like 1.5 million people. So it's like a big, a big important area with big slums. Um, but yeah, so he's not the head of the whole police. Right, right. There's a, there's a point in the film where it seems, and I would imagine it was very intentional that you guys included this, but it, it appears that the conversation seems to go away from, wow, I wasn't expecting them to ask that question. And um, boy, they're going a little deeper maybe than I'm comfortable with here. <laughs> was there ever a point where they, he and, and his his team and his his uh, his police officers, his, his, I don't even know, his crew, let's say, that where they stepped back and they said, okay, enough is enough. We, we, we don't want you guys around anymore. It, it's a really good question because it was, it was something that, you know, we knew we needed to confront them about these killings that were happening because basically it seemed like they'd stopped doing it in uniform on official operations, but basically off-duty police would, would basically bumping off people who were on what they call the drugs watch list. Um, and we knew we had to confront them about this. And it was, we, you know, as Olivier said, we didn't have any official authorization. So it was, you know, one day he could wake up and be fed up with us and kick us out and that would be it. We'd have no film. So we waited till quite late on in the process to really confront him and also the head of the SWAT team. And neither of them reacted in the way we expected. You know, mm. we, we were worried exactly as you say, that they'd be shocked because we'd been kind of friendly with them for months and we'd found the common ground, built this trust, and they kind of let their guard down to suddenly say, we've been told you're killers, you know, made us nervous, particularly as they are quite unpredictable people. Um, and then as it happened, you know, the, the police chief kind of denied it, but right. in, in such a hopeless way uh, that and unconvincing that, you know, he kind of dug, dug his own grave there. You know, it's kind of clear that he did at some, you know, he, he spoke about black sheep within the police right. doing these kind of killings, which is not really a proper denial. Um, and then even more weirdly, the head of the SWAT team initially says, oh, no, the, you know, people think it's the police, but it's absolutely not. And then his eyes kind of shift Darts side to side to side is you know the, the biggest tell that he might be lying. Oh but yeah, he'd actually, he'd make a terrible he'd make a terrible poker player. Poker player, totally. I mean, it was it was kind of comic. Uh, and then as the interview goes on, he lets his guard down, and by the end, it's kind of laughing manically about sending these drug pushers to hell, mm. and you know it's their choice and all of that. So you know it had been something that had. We'd, we'd thought very carefully about and were pretty stressed about confronting them. And in the end, I, I don't think it, it went as we thought. And neither of them seemed particularly offended that we'd asked the question. And I think maybe that's partly because if your president is saying it's okay, right. then that gives you kind of carte blanche to do well, and isn't this kind of a thing? I mean, what I love about your film is, and, and, and I, I say this all the time, so my listeners are rolling their eyes right now, I suppose, but what I love about a great film is, and especially documentary film, there's so many layers. It seems to me there's so much going on here. This is, this is about journalism, and it's about honesty and authenticity and relationships and poverty and justice and all these things that, that sort of bubble to the surface as you watch and, and you reflect and kind of film that you need to go back and see a second time and, and the kind of film that I, I bet students are going to write essays about. How how do you how do you kind of t come to terms with that um, um, as filmmakers, both as directors as well? You know, um, um, 
how do you how do you kind of land or or is it hey we're in agreement we're going into this really crazy situation that probably is going to be pretty unsafe from time from you know day to day let's just capture whatever we can and then piece the story together later is that does that make sense that question yeah i mean I, i'm really touched that you said that about the layers and all the different um because that you know i'm glad the film comes across as, as that rich because we certainly felt that the subject and what we kind of experience did have all those different layers and themes um it's, I, the thing is with the kind of observational film you never quite know what you're going to get so right. we, were gonna, we were on the ground on and off for like six months and you know we didn't you know when we started they promised they were going to stop killing Morikio, the police chief came in and said you know kind of new sheriff in town going to clean everything up no more killing and we didn't you know it could have been that he, he was true to his word and the killing stopped and then the film would have been quite different we had a we had a hunch it probably wouldn't go like that but um it's whenever you're just kind of following characters in in a slightly observational way you know you you're kind of in the in the lap of the gods and i think we knew the themes we wanted to get but we were open minded you know we're not activists we're journalists and filmmakers and you know we wanted to embrace all the nuance and complexity of it um and you know i think the thing that that shocked us in the end was how brazen they were and how in in their mind you know how Duterte's propaganda had been so effective that effectively they did see anyone connected with drugs living in the slum as expendable as a pest um and i think that as an outsider is is completely shocking um, yeah well i th- and it, as um as the young woman who lost her brother um um says this you know if 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 you're poor you don't get justice and this is i guess is what i mean about the layers i mean you guys you just james you just called yourself a, you you know a filmmaker and not an activist but i actually might might argue that you're a bit of you're a bit of both right i mean i i mean olivier how do you feel about that do you do you, do you find yourself as i mean you know you guys are stepping into this international you're, you're you're crossing cultures you've got language issues you've got you've got all kinds of things going on i mean you actually have footage of some protests near the end of the film mm. um, um how do you feel about that are you okay with being labeled uh, an activist jam you can yeah i mean i, I would say i'm i'm happy i like making films about injustices sure. that make you angry and want people to take action like definitely were drawn i think as filmmakers to stories that matter mm. i guess my nervousness about labeling ourselves activists is that you go in there with a closed mind and you kind of ignore any inconvenient complexity or whatever but i'm i you know i think we're both thrilled if at the end of the film you come away angry and thinking this is a terrible injustice that must be stopped you know that's fine but i think the the process we go through is is reflecting the, the kind of comprehensive picture of the situation rather than going in there out to get the cops before we've even started recording i think know? i think it's yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah oh, go, go ahead no go ahead no i said we never went to the philippines to trial the cops that was not you know we, we want to see for ourselves now we didn't, didn't decide to make a film uh, and say oh that's it we're going to go after the cops we really want to see for ourselves what was the situation. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting comment, not only about filmmaking and, and frankly the editing process, but but also you know uh, 
of context and, and worldview. I mean, how often do we step into somebody else's situation and, and we're really not willing to listen and we're really yeah. not open to what the facts are or, or what the story actually is revealing as we go along? I mean, I, I think it's a really insightful observation for, for sure. You know, you, you, you uh, near the end of the film, and in fact, I think we kind of wrap up the film with, well, well hey, you know what? I was just doing my job. And, and boy, what, <laughs> you know, the things that have been justified, you know, I mean, yeah. we can, and let's connect it back to Nazi Germany, right? Let's, I mean, yeah. which, which I know you guys kind of, we came full circle there quite quite nicely but at the beginning of the film i believe he says you know we want to make change mm. do you think that really fundamentally underlying all of this is this desire and either of you please answer the question is the desire to 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 clean up the philippines uh, you know and we're going to do whatever it takes to make this happen oh and by the way the president says we can do whatever it takes yeah i think i think you're absolutely right i think they they think there is that morally they are in the right, and ki killing these people is a tool of policing. It's it's not just pointless murder. It's not settling grudges. It's the the west the best way to deal with the drug problem in the Philippines. As it happens, the drug problem in the Philippines is no worse than any other country in the region. You know, it's it's a kind of concocted uh, crisis, much like you know immigration in America or anything like that with these populist rulers. But I think, it, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the the, the Nazi thing, because I, I think as filmmakers, sometimes there are layers in the film that you don't consciously pick up in the editing process, but someone else watched the film and picked up on, uh, the, you know, as you mentioned, that I was just doing my job, and also the drugs watch list, you know, ha having this list of people who are going to be killed, and just kind of the way it becomes this kind of process Right. And people who are, who are involved at every point don't really take respon responsibility for the gravity and scale of of the kind of evil. Uh, and it's just interesting to see the kind of anatomy of like mass killing. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I guess subconsciously, Olivia and I know that that's all in there. But it's great to speak to people like you who see it with a fresh with fresh eyes and kind of see all this extra meaning. Well, what 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 has been done under sort of the rubric or under the umbrella of I was just following orders? I mean, you know, to, to, you know, the, the the like as you said, you know, the, the the and this again is another whole layer to the film. This is a film about you know personal choice and about responsibility, and and this isn't about saying oh somebody else is giving me license to do this, but but no, this is I'm the one who is is. Not to blame, but I'm the one who's responsible. I love that notion of uh, what was his finger discipline, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but that still comes down, even though you've been given the license to do it. it the finger discipline still comes down to the individual. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I, and I think interestingly with with the police chief when he said I was doing I was just doing my job because but I mean I don't really want to give away the end of the film, but the police chief does get his comeuppance in a way when once mm, the killings mm. reach a certain level. And I think he's kind of shocked that he gets in trouble for it because this whole system had been set up to basically execute drug pushers to deal with the problem. So then when he gets, when his career suffers because he was doing that, he genuinely is kind of completely bemused and, and confused about why he's, he's the one who's got in trouble when he thought that was the whole point of what they were doing. And, and you know, it, interestingly with him, you know, we'd spend a lot of time with these guys 
not filming, just kind of having dinner, you know, sitting around drinking coffee, as you Absolutely, say. Absolutely, yeah. And so you hear, you know, I think over the months, our sense of their morality and their approach to policing became quite clear, you know, and, and that was why confronting them about it at the end was so important because they'd said to us countless times off camera how killing these people is the way to deal with the drug problem and it does work. And, you know, joking about it quite frequently. Well, you, you, have um, to, you also have to wonder, you know, and again, either of you step in here, you have to wonder even in some of the shots that you present, the shooting range, uh, the loading of the guns, the 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 pride almost, and the 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 uh, the pleasure almost that's taken in yeah. not only cleaning up my country, but actually, ooh, I I actually get to kill somebody here. I mean, as horrible as that might sound, there there sanctioned pleasure in the killing of somebody else. D does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you look, you look at De Demos, the head of the SWAT team, as he's kind of laughing manically. You know, he's he is a sadist. You know, he you don't go out on the streets as a police officer wearing a black skeleton mask unless you like the idea of scaring people. And well, you, I, you I couldn't help but think how many how many gangster movies or or war movies or police movies informed and inform you know others around the world, including the UK and Canada and the US, uh, about how policing should look or should be. Oh, gee, yeah. I got to find a cool mask to wear when I <laughs> when I pull the trigger. Like that's a horrible thing to say, but boy, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Totally. And one thing that we're really curious about um, is how the police will react to the film. So you know, we watch the film and we're kind of, you know people in Canada or Copenhagen or wherever will watch the film and be kind of horrified that the police are behaving in this way. But I, I think if you put all those police officers in a room and they watch that film, they might love it because they seem terrifying and they want, you know, they want to be badass. Right. And I think the, the reason in the end they may not love it is because there'll be a reaction to the film internationally and within the Philippines, which, you know, uses the film to kind of prove that the drugs war is out of control and they, they may get in some kind of trouble for it. But I think if, if you got them in isolation and watched the film, they might, they might think it was, you know, made them look cool and, and scary. Right, right. I was still in contact with those guys and, and they still ask, when, when can we see the film? We saw the trailer. You know, <laughs> we want to see more. We love it, you know. Uh... Which is, you know, in the trailer you would think it doesn't present them in the best light. You know, it, right. it, makes, quite, it makes quite clear what's going on. Right, and right. Yet for them, because their their idea of what is acceptable is so warped uh, that they, yeah, they loved it. So, yeah, we're, we're slightly kind of puzzled about that. But it, Did, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, do you, are you, I'm, I'm imagining both of you are probably familiar with um, uh, The Act of Killing, Josh, Joshua Oppenheimer's right. film. And, and did, did you start to see some of those parallels as, as you were filming, or did you already see that before you, you, you know, started to shoot your first uh, frame? It's great that you mentioned that. It definitely was part of our conversation before we started, that, that idea of getting inside the mind of, of killers and, you know, just understanding the rationale of well, killing. And, 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 and what's kind of interesting, killers on the side of justice, presumably, right? Yeah, in their minds, exactly, yeah. And I, and, and I guess what's, what's interesting about this is, you know, The Act of Killing is an amazing, amazing film. Um, 
And but they're, they're talking about it decades later. That's right. You know, so for, for serving police officers to be talking about killing in this kind of casual way is I, just extraordinary. So before I'd love to talk to you both about about solutions and what you both feel, um, we can set aside, you know, let's side aside, uh, set aside the activist thing, your filmmakers, but you're both still, you know, your friends, your partners, your, your, your husbands, your, your, your fathers, etc, whatever, your, your, you know, members of the human race, what's, you know, I want to get to kind of what's your take on what might be a solution, you know, uh, to, to, you know, this drug war kind of has gone on all over the place, right? I mean, it's been going on since the 70s, really, in a sense, way back to the Reagan era in the U.S. and Colombia and so on. And so there's there's variations of it. And it always seems to be met with profound violence. And it, it maybe maybe we're finding out that this, this actually, this way doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, uh, or this yeah. approach doesn't work, you know? We need a little more finger discipline. How about we need, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, global global finger discipline but before we go there can we talk about the the undertaker a little bit i thought it was what a what a wonderful character i i think you guys should consider doing a whole narrative uh tv series around that guy he's 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 he's, he's fascinating he is yeah um he's, yeah he, i mean he, we, we we loved him we, we knew we needed a character to kind of basically because he, he's the guy who picks up the bodies so he can tell you about the drugstore in a way that no one else can. You know, right. He knows when the killing is up or when it's quiet. And, you know, he talks about business being slow in a slightly kind of downbeat way. And then by the end of the film, when the killing is up again, he's like, well, hey, you know, business is booming. And he, you know, he looks like something out of a, you know, Olivier would, would often reference, like he's the character in, in like a Western. Yeah, absolutely. The bodies. And that, he's, he's something that's completely out of a fictional movie. It's kind of hard to believe that he's really real. Well, but, um, what what I also found really quite uh, uh, comical, absurd, ironic, whatever, is the twenty four. The fact that he's open twenty four hours. <laughs> That's another. <laughs> it's another great detail that we kind of didn't. But a couple of people have mentioned that on the sign, and yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, exactly. And well, it's it's yeah. like it's like I mean, you guys just must must smile and laugh out loud about this stuff when you're back at the hotel, uh, enjoying a drink together. But the the young boy too with the "Do Not Kill" T-shirt on. I mean, how you can't write that kind of material. Yeah, I mean, we we couldn't quite believe that that was what his T-shirt said. It was a, it was one of those moments that is yet yeah, it seems too good to be true. It seems like you must have, have set it up, and then the way that the basically the, the head of the SWAT team across these two kids on the side of the street and starts kind of tormenting them. And it turns out, yeah, that one of the kids has this T-shirt saying, do not kill, which creates this kind of surreal back and forth between this kid and, and the cop who kind of takes pride in being a killer. Um, and yeah. And we also, yeah. So we just, now I just wanted to say, we had no idea what the conversation was about. We didn't know what the T-shirt was meaning. Uh, we had a local fixer, but... When it comes to you know observational filming, we uh, we try not to interact, you know, try to disturb the scene. Uh, and it's only later that we understood that, oh wow, that that was writing on the t-shirt. I, th I, th I think he, I think he did. I think the, the translator did actually whisper in my ear that t-shirt says "Do not kill." Um, so I kind of had a, had a sense of it. And then you could you could tell the dynamic even when you don't understand the words. You could tell that. Demos, the swap guy, was was tormenting these two, taking. Oh, 
taking great pleasure in the power, right, and the oppression of it, and the fear that he must have been instilling in these kids, and 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 yet probably kind of smiling on the inside about it. Um, yeah, I, I I found the whole scene really disturbing. I mean, really unsettling. Uh, and I guess maybe maybe you guys would too now as you reflect back on it. But in the in the moment and in the time, it's okay. What's actually happening here? What's 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 unraveling before our eyes, or unfolding? Yeah. I guess. And, and 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 the language thing is interesting. Like Olivia mentioned, so like the English is kind of the official language in the Philippines, so people understand it. So we could communicate with our characters in English and give direction, or you know, get to know them just speaking English. But then they would speak Tagalog to each other, right? And kind of think that we couldn't understand, not really fully comprehending that we might go back and get it translated. So you get all these little moments when they kind of think that we don't understand and they'll right. say, you know, I asked the boss if we can go overboard as in, you know, kill this person. And he said, no, or, you know, the killings might've caught up with us. Ha ha ha. And all these little moments that I guess they never would have thought that we'd kind of capture and have translated and use, but those moments really help give you like the real picture of what's going on. Um, so in, in a way it was like a perfect situation for us because we could get by with English, but they also took some kind of comfort in the fact we didn't understand Tagalog, so we're completely natural when we were filming. And as Olivia said, we tried to be as invisible as possible. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, and having worked in international development and, and studied philosophy for years and getting involved in, you know, supposedly precision of language and these types of things, it's an interesting comment on, on listening, on context, on cross-cultural, you know, awareness and effectiveness in the sense, you know, and, and then I just, as you were talking, James, I just felt like everybody understands fear, though. Right. Mm. I mean, that's yeah. pretty. I mean, that's a universal language. But I, I, this is what I find so fascinating about great, great doc film like this. It's just so much bubbles, bubbles to the surface. Sadly, guys, we're going to we're going to have to wrap it up in a couple of minutes. But what what? Um, yeah. What about solutions? I mean, I know that, you know, we're not we're not going to come up with the, the quick fix here. Uh, um, I mean, this this is way more nuanced, way more complicated than. Uh, catching a criminal, putting them in jail, and the problem goes away. Um, we're, talk we're talking about something way more deeper, it seems to me. I mean, I love the shots, love the shots. That's a bit uh, much. I, I so appreciated you, the fact that you showed the overcrowded cells and the, the mm -hmm. way the warden was treating these prisoners. You know, in, what, what does he say in prison? You need to act like a gangster or something, <laughs> yeah. something yeah. like that. Um, and it's it really is quite terrifying this idea that this will lead us to a cleaner better more just society anyway i'd love yeah. to hear what either of you have to say about that you know the the fact that drugs are supposedly the evil of all evils right i mean yeah i you mean know... yeah so duterte's propaganda basically makes out that all crime stems from drugs so right whether it's right robbery rape murder it's all by this kind of fictional demonized drug addict right. know, who's completely lost control and so when people believe that it means you know you can do whatever you want to these these drug users because they're not they're not human they, they can't have families they can't be fully rounded um you know fully fully rounded humans but i think in terms of the concept of, of the war on drugs i mean these people are the poorest of the poor the people that are getting killed are not big time drug pushers they are the lowest level drug runner who might be, you know, supplementing their income by 
cycling, mm. a, you know, a wrap mm. of, of crystal meth to the neighborhood and just basically trying to make a bit of money for their family to survive in the slum. So for, for me, the, you don't really need a war on drugs. You need like a war on, on poverty. Like if really? you gave these people more opportunity and, you know, invested the same kind of effort and resources into actually, you know, trying to help people get off drugs, you know, and that sounds like kind of wishy-washy liberal speak, but, you know, a, waging a war against your own population, like the poorest, most vulnerable people, is, is just quite clearly not the best way to deal with it, a problem like this. Um, and, you know, Duterte is never going to turn around and say, you know, these drug users need to be supported and helped. And we need, right. it's, you know, and they do, you know, they do have rehabilitation programs, but it's pretty, you know, it's kind of like a weekly Zumba class. It's not, um, right. it's not very sophisticated. Um, and, you know, there's not much sympathy for, for people involved in drugs. So it's difficult, but I think probably globally, the, the concept of a war on drugs is pretty discredited now. And I think, you know, obviously the big drug dealers, and importers should be should be dealt with, but I think probably the, the people who are ending up dead are not are not really the root of the problem. It's, it's, just... it, it seems like a much sort of almost easier approach. It's it's uh, it's 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 it, well, is isn't it really just a political solution in a sense? Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I think it's Duterte found a subject that resonated with the population, mm. and he, you know, it could have been drugs, it could have been immigrants could have been terrorists whatever you know it just so happens that that was his issue that set him apart from his predecessors in right, politics right. who were more on the left were more interested in human rights and were, were kind of discredited and seen as corrupt so for him to be you know the philippines trump or bolsonaro or whoever he needed to say i'll you know the big evil is drugs unlike all these people before me who who were you know, career politicians. I tell it like it is. I'm going to kill them. Right. And people think people think he's a strong man. And he's going to get stuff done. Uh, and that 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 was the platform on which he built his support. And he's still popular. You know, the majority of Filipinos still support Duterte and his drugs war. So 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 appreciate uh, having the time with you guys today. Just before we wrap it up, Olivia, I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear. Uh, uh, um, and and I'm assuming you're both coming coming to Hot Docs, but but I'd I'd love to hear you comment on the 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 not the co-directing, but how you work together. Are you guys? I guess maybe the question is, Olivier, mm -hmm. are you guys going to direct another film together? <laughs> maybe who knows. Uh... <laughs> Oh God, Olivier, be a bit nicer than that. Jesus. <laughs> no, no. I think I think we'll have a chance. I think if we had an opportunity where we can collaborate again together and make another film, definitely we'll do it. It's, uh, I, I think the thing, the thing with me and Olivier, we you know we did most of before. This was our second film. Our kind of interests and talents really complement each other, and we're very mm. we're very very different. So. You know, I think if, if either of us worked with someone who was too similar, uh, there would be more clashes. But actually, we found a way of working that was like pretty. So I, I would record sound, Olivia would be filming, and it was just a pretty smooth um, kind of operation. It was like a, a kind of perfect mm. little team to be to be filming the scenarios where we were. So, you know, and I think it's good to have like a collaborator with a different take and. You know, I think documentary making in general, it's like 
you want to collaborate with the best people and everyone at every stage makes the film just better, you know, slightly better and slightly better. Sure. Yeah. And Olivia and I were both like totally committed to making this film as good as it could possibly be. Um, which meant actually we didn't get in arguments. It was never, there was never an ego thing of like, who's going to win this argument. It was just like, we trusted each other's judgment and, you know, we trusted that both of us ultimately wanted to just make the best film we possibly could. Um, I just, and well, I, I think you guys have done that. And again, congratulations on a, a, a beautiful film to watch yeah. and, and, and a challenging and engaging one at, at the same time. I couldn't help but to smile there as, as James was talking, Olivier, as cinematographer, uh, uh, I just saw how much finger discipline did you uh, practice uh, in the, in the film, in the filmmaking of this? Anyway, uh, you, so you don't have to answer that question. He's I just... very disciplined, actually, I have to say. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. I'm actually very disciplined. Uh, disciplined. I don't, uh, you know, spend a lot of time filming in, in a day, I will say. Well, I don't shoot a lot. You know, for that dog, we really want to go to carefully compose the shot. You know, we want to create a style with... Uh, a dramatic mood, I will say, you know, an emotional connection with the city. Mm. Uh, but I'm very disciplined, yeah, <laughs> on the field, always. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Hey, so the website is on thepresidentsorders.com. Uh, film is, is going to be playing at Hot Dogs 2019 uh, from April 25th to May 5th. You've got three showings. Are you both coming? We are, we're yeah, coming. we can't wait. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I, I look forward to to potentially meeting you both. I really hope uh, we can right. we can say hello face to face. And and yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, thanks thanks to you both today. We've been uh, talking to Olivier Sarville and James Jones about their new film premiering at Hot Docs on the President's orders. Thanks thanks to you both guys. Thanks. That was a real pleasure. Thanks, David. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.